And we wish you a good morning on this Monday, December 4th, 2023. 21 days until Christmas, 106 days until spring. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. I'm counting down. We had a horrible drive down from up north on I-75 uh, with, I mean, more snow than you can imagine up there. And Really? I mean, we're so lucky this rain we got wasn't snow. Oh. Oh, my goodness. But that's uh, good for the ski resorts up there. Yeah, it is. And we watched uh, Boyne Mountain was open, and I'm uh, assuming that a lot of the other ones, especially on the West Coast, uh, where they got some lake effect, are open as well. And we, we were up at Petoskey. They had their big Christmas extravaganza. Right. And, and, I mean, with a steel drum band from the high school, it was very so cool. So they had those ice sculptures and stuff all Didn't around? Didn't do the ice sculptures, okay. but they lit the tree 20% off in all the stores. It was it was fun time. So we're number one. Congratulations to the University of Michigan Wolverines. Going to the Rose Bowl. Yes, yes. Be, and now here's the question. Of all the teams that are in the CFP, is not Alabama perhaps the most dangerous? Well, I think Alabama's always dangerous, and they have this momentum coming in. Exactly, surging. the Wolverines open as two-point favorites over the Crimson Tide um, yesterday. So they're the national championship favorite as well at plus 175, followed closely by Alabama at plus 200. So could this be the year? Yeah, but the fact that it's going to be in Pasadena, Rose Bowl, that also lends some... There's some historical... Yeah, there's some cachet to that. I was there in 97 when they share the national title and it's that's a special place when the sun sets over the san gabriel mountains it's just it's beautiful yes yes so get your i can just imagine the stampede to get those tickets now mm, uh for detroit the to california tickets are going yeah. up oh yeah yeah you believe it so um so what, 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 is, what does the coach think about it? Well, everyone, uh, first of all, there were a lot of TV cameras as the Michigan Wolverines found out that they were playing Alabama. Right. Were there some groans there when they? It was tepid <laughs> at, the, at best. Uh, ESPN talked to Jim Harbaugh about this whole thing, about what he thinks about playing Alabama. Uh, our players came up with a, this, uh, this bet, bet, and... Um, yeah, I even had to look up what it means, but what it, what it, what it means to me uh, is bringing everyone together, and that's what our team has done. So, bet. Oh, I'm glad for the translation. Harbaugh's giving me it. Ted Lasso vibes because that is not what the players mean when they say bet, but that's okay. If he thinks that's what it means, it's they're just having fun. Chickens, and then, one piece, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. At least he's not talking about mom's babies. That's right. Right. Uh, Blake Corum put his thought together a little bit better about facing Alabama. Just the moment I was born for, it feels like, you know, being able to be the number one team in the nation, first of all, playing the Rose Bowl against a great Alabama team, you know, SEC versus the Big Ten. Does it get bigger than this? I don't know. How about Mm, it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. So I, I think that prefer to play Florida State, but it's Alabama. And it's January 1st. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Florida State. Because, I mean, I, you, you brought up in our crosstalk with, with, with Mike and, and Nick, who is really cranky about that. He I, is. He's boy, very he's impressive. Really, you know, uh, but I, I think that, I, you know, yes, it's in, you brought up the fact that it's invitational. Yes, it is. So who are, the, what are their protocols? Who are they trying to satisfy with this pick? I think they're trying to satisfy the big TV networks. They're trying to give them the biggest number. That's not rewarding the best team. Yeah. No. And so it's it's like the wins don't matter for these kids at Florida State who won every single game. Mm -hmm. They're a power five. They're on their third string quarterback and they're still winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I 
I don't know. I just think if they've won every game and to be penalized like this is just not fair. No. I think it's kind of like Cinderella, man. They're Cinderella, and they're they're doing well. And uh, it's like, so why are we out here playing every day and, and you know, putting ourselves in, in danger playing every day? And it, right. it doesn't it, we don't get anything for it. Yeah, I thought it, I thought the coach <laughs> you know. put it, you know, put put it great. He said, you know, this is about us overcoming, and we did everything we needed to do, except apparently fall into the right political category. We're not the SEC. And we're not everybody's dream team for the Nielsen family. Right, exactly. This harkens back to the BCS stuff when yeah. people would get left out. Well, we, knew, don't like we it. knew there was still going to be controversies when, when they went to the four-team playoffs. Because four right? teams isn't enough. Right. So we're going to have what, 12, 13, 16? Is it 16 the next? I forget now. I'm, I'm blanking. 12. Nick, 12, yep. 12, 12. And so Florida State is a, a year out. Uh, they missed it by a year. All right. And yeah. while while I'm over here, you know, defaming Nick Roddy, you've got your reasons for thinking that Florida State, it was not yeah, wrong I mean, in this deal. No, if if people if, if you say it's the best team should go, who would be favored right now, Alabama or Florida State? It's Alabama. So the be- they chose the best team. Except they've got a big fat one in the loss column, and Florida State doesn't. Okay. What but do you, you got to do? You can't, you can't satisfy both of – you, you pick the team with the best record or you pick the best team. Those are two different criteria. They, they go outside the conference. They had a tougher schedule than uh, a <laughs> they couple of those They beat two SEC teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, LSU wasn't a, a world beater this year. They beat LSU. Okay. Well, they were supposed to be. Yeah, were they, they weren't. Yeah. So. Well, the argument for Alabama is they just took down the number one team in the country and no one's been able to do yeah, that all season. Yeah, their 29-game win streak came yeah. to an end. So yeah. does that not count for anything? Meantime... Nine and three, and we're sitting here talking about. Well, it it wasn't the greatest win. Yeah, we got to get all over negative about there. the win. You know, I mean, I, I'm happy. I'm of course, you know, I'm happy with win. I'm happy that they're nine and three. It was just like, man, it was taking me through ten thousand changes though. Yeah. Again, after you know. that first play, when there was when when they fumbled on the first play uh, from scrimmage, <laughs> yet yeah. okay, I guess we haven't figured out that turnover <laughs> thing yet. Uh, Sam Laporta, what a magnificent oh, always man but were there no other receivers out there sam laporta just got himself free he did so free time career high nine catches 140 yards and jamal's dive touchdown. that yeah. dive you know he's got to stop and i said oh my god you know it was funny at the you know it was funny at first when he did it. i was like man but you can't do that and you know hurt yourself and now you're out because you wanted to you know, be cute. You my, know. my my wife, who's only a casual fan, looked at that. and She's broken her collarbone before. She goes, well, that could be a broken collarbone. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how I did it. Uh, yeah, I just save that stuff. Nine and three. Dude. Doesn't matter, Lloyd. A win's a win. It is. Yeah, it is. I'll, take the, I'll take the W. I'll take it anytime. Uh, some other news to get to here. December 27th, mark it on your calendar. The Michigan GOP calling a special election, a special meeting. And this was done uh, it, under the bylaws by one-third of the members of the state committee. And uh, in the little section that says the purpose for the meeting, it is to potentially kick out party chair Christina Caramo, who, uh, in the opinion of many onlookers, has been a disaster as the state party chair. Questions about fundraising capabilities, questions about where the money's going, questions about whether it's been mishandled. Uh, that could all be decided come December 27th, but certainly not the kind of discord that you want to see going into a critical 
election. What went on at Hartford Memorial? They they're they're still grieving the loss of their absolutely uh, longtime pastor. Sunday morning, yesterday, uh, the service at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church interrupted after someone called in a bomb threat. Now, the threat was called in toward the end of the church's 730 service. Everyone who was inside had to evacuate. The scare comes as the church congregation is mourning the loss of their longtime pastor, the Reverend Dr. Charles G. Adams. He died on Wednesday after a bout of pneumonia. The fire department did a thorough search. They cleared any doubt that there was a bomb. Detroit police described it as a non-credible threat. Once police said it was okay, churchgoers were able to finish the service. Now, Dr. Adams' memorial service will be on December 14th and 15th, and his sister, who was in the church yesterday, uh, said there's a strong possibility that church security will be beefed up during those services it's in light of what happened that yesterday. That's necessary to do. I just you know, don't. Just I don't, I don't right. Uh, one of our ships came under attack in the, uh, in the Red Sea. Uh, the Houthi militia in Yemen have already claimed responsibility for it. The USS Kearney was forced to... Uh, retaliate against an incoming drone attack. Now, these 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 Houthi uh, militia, they're not terrorists, according to the Biden administration. They were taken off the terrorist watch list, the designation list. This was as a bone that they wanted to throw to Iran to try to get the, a, a peace deal restarted. And they still haven't. They're shooting our they're, ships. Right. And the Biden administration still hasn't put them back on the list. No. Maybe today. Uh, but... Uh, the the non-terrorists are shooting at our people. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get caught up with our friends at Cranes Detroit Business. Some big stories there, including uh, the fact that your rates are going to be going up a little bit uh, with uh, the utilities. We'll get to all of that just ahead when we speak to Mike Lee, as we like to do every Monday morning. The markets are trending down in early uh Trading before they open. Uh, we'll see what that's about. Ford's going to announce its November sales today. They're expected to be down a skosh due to the uh, the labor strike there. Meantime, uh, we've got uh, labor peace at two major business institutions here in the city of Detroit and in southeast Michigan. And that's one of the lead stories that Crane's Detroit business is following on this Monday morning. And uh, we say good morning to Mike Lee, managing editor of Crane's Detroit business. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Guy. How are you? Very good. So we've got uh, we've got Blue Cross, we've got MGM Grand, both reaching major deals. Yeah, we uh, we we I think we've now seen the, uh, the the likely end of our trio of uh, of UAW strikes. Uh, obviously, the uh, automaker deals are all done. Uh, last week, Blue Cross workers, over a thousand of them in, uh, in in Detroit and West Michigan, agreed to a deal, and the, the last holdout casino, MGM Grand Detroit. Uh, announced a deal over the weekend to end the 47-day strike uh, there. Um, at the same time, uh, Sean Fain, uh, the UAW president, came out last week and s- announced step two <laughs> of, of his campaign uh, to, to organize the automakers, naming 13 other automakers the union wants to, wants to organize, uh, to unionize, uh, including Tesla and Rivian. Uh, along with the, uh, the the transplant automakers, so uh, you know whether this uh, era of of labor labor strife and uh, unions fighting back is uh, is over, I, I think it's probably not. But uh, we'll see how how uh, how the unionization efforts go. The uh, UAW hasn't had much luck in in organizing those uh, th- those automakers in the past, so we'll see if it's different this time. Mike, that's uh, new legislation in Michigan making it a felony to assault a healthcare worker. I think it's it's long overdue, but a lot of times the the people who are doing the assaulting are are mentally ill. So how do you 
how do, how do you really enforce this? Yeah, this is an interesting question. The uh, the hospital systems, healthcare systems have 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 been been ringing the bell about increasing violence against their staff um, from families, but also from patients. Um, the, the the numbers aren't enormous, but then also probably largely underreported. Um, there are new laws that are awaiting the governor's signature that would make it a felony for uh, visitors, family members who assault nurses or and other healthcare workers. Uh, whether that will actually help or not is uh, is an open question. People in healthcare are, are, have pushed for these laws, but they're also a little skeptical. It'll make a huge difference. Well, right, because point out. we already have laws against assaulting people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, these, these these are stiffer penalties. Uh, I don't know that that will be generally known. And 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 as they point out, yeah. as, and as Lloyd pointed out, m- many times it's the patients who are doing the assaulting, whether because they are withdrawing from drugs, or they are mentally ill, or yeah. they are having seizures, or other other you know other other you know people wake up from from anesthesia and sometimes are 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 not not right and and can be violent so and and the the law doesn't apply to to that those are you know many cases are people who aren't under control of themselves anyway troubling either way i mean and absolutely it's it's a risky profession the injury Mm -hmm. rate in in healthcare is 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 one of the high one of the highest of any 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 industry um because it's a it's a physical job and it can be a risky job you're not dealing with people who are at their best uh, Guy said earlier that there's snow up north. He saw it with his own two eyes. Uh, but And skiers. Yeah, that's good the for skiers. the ski industry. But when they're trying to make snow, you really need reliable energy, Mike. Yeah, ski resort uh, near Cadillac, Caberfay Peaks, uh, last week uh, suffered a whole series of power outages uh, and went public with a plea to its 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 Facebook followers, almost 50,000 Facebook followers, to to complain to the Michigan Public Service Commission about uh, consumers' energy service to the to the ski resort. Um, it's one of the one of the state's oldest ski resorts, one of the oldest in the nation, actually, um, and it's it's a pretty big resort. Uh, they they had three power outages essentially in a day, and it was interfering with their ability to make snow during a you know one of the first serious cold snaps. Um, to, to get ready for uh, for this weekend, uh, they say the snowmakers, if you know, if the power isn't consistent, they can damage them. So they have to be be careful running them when the when the when they're having power problems. Um, it, you know, the, obviously the resort is is isolated. There's the the lines are miles long to get there, and they say they're old and they're prone to prone to breakage. Um, Consumers came out to their credit and 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 apologized for the problems. They've been working with the resort for several years to try and get this get this sorted out. But the uh, just the, the the public nature of the of the plea was uh, was the extraordinary part to me. Um, and and literally telling customers to, to to talk to the talk to the regulators about this. <laughs> Mike, it's it happened late Friday, but it's I know it's a big headline in, in Cranes this morning, and that is. Uh, the Michigan Public Service Commission, on a 2-0 vote, approved Enbridge Energy's plan to put a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac and bury Line 5 once and for all safely. But that's only one approval of what they need. We've only got 60 seconds, by the way. There's there's still a lot to go there. The PSC had a, had a very uh, eventful afternoon on Friday, also uh, approving a rate increase for, for DTE Energy. Um, but the, uh, the the line five approval has been really years in the making. Obviously, it's controversial um, for for burying that that uh, that petroleum petroleum line. The uh, 
but it's it's an important step forward in in, in Enbridge's effort to do that. Um, you know, I, I, what the timeline is for remaining approvals is, uh, is is anybody's guess. Well, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers says it's not going to make a decision until 2026. With well, all of the environmental impact studies that have already been done, you've got to wonder what's taking them so long, and if this is administrative foot dragging, um, because he. You got, you got to imagine that there's plenty of data there for them to make a decision that this would be the safest option. Mike, have a great week. We will read about it all in Crane's Detroit Business. And, yes, we'll have that conversation with former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick coming up at 8.05. Uh, something that uh, a nice uh, score for uh, Lloyd yeah. Jackson. Thanks for bringing him in. Yeah, uh, we, we've talked. He wants to come in and, and speak, and he said he wanted to come in and sit down with us. Yeah, and, you know, there are people out there saying, you know, is this conversion authentic? It's almost cliche. You know, a guy mm-hmm. goes to prison for corruption, finds Jesus and everything's all better. Right. And there's well, folks let's saying ask this, him. there's, there's, he's, he'll, he'll know, be, yeah, <laughs> he's willing, to, he's willing to, to, to face that. And I, I, I'm anxious to hear from him. Uh, one of the, you know, the, 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 the saddest thing about Kwame's story is one of the great political talents I've ever seen in the state of Michigan. Absolutely. He had just immense political skills and great potential. We'll be talking with him. Uh, I'm going to be participating in a, in a really interesting panel coming up uh, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, thanks to the Greater Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce. It's the Mish Auto Summit 2023. Glenn Stevens is here, the executive director for Mish Auto and vice president of automotive and mobility initiatives for the chamber. Glenn, good morning. Jamie Lloyd Guy, good morning. How are you? We're, we're great. Hey, I, we're good. I haven't checked my Twitter feed to see if you've put up a lovely sunrise picture or sunset picture. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Glenn actually works for Pure Michigan. Um, he, <laughs> he just puts up the most amazing pictures on Twitter. Um, it, as we look at this, this is an amazing time to talk about the future of the automotive industry, as we saw in the, the headlines everywhere. Sean Fain is going to do stand-up 2.0. These are interesting times. There's no question. There's a, a, a lot of dynamics in the industry right now. Um, you know, uh, there are going to be some great panels as part of, the, as part of this as well. One of them, uh, the culture of talent. Talk about what that panel is about. Right. So we've, we've got really four themes that we're pursuing here uh, for our event. And really what we're looking at is what are the major impact issues for Detroit, for Michigan and our industry? And they are AI, electrification, uh, manufacturing and labor, and tech talent. And so we've got two panels, one on the culture of talent, and one we've got as part of our U-Drive campaign, which is two of our young professionals here in Michigan, to hear from them about why they are building careers in Michigan, why they want to live here, and why they want to work in our auto and mobility industry. So it's going to be a good day. Uh, There's going to be the Labor, Manufacturing, and Michigan's Future panel. Patrick Anderson has been on our air talking about how much this strike costs the automakers, but then GM came out and said, we'll be okay. So it's it's interesting uh, moving forward, is it not, Glenn? It is, and Guy's got that. uh, That's going to be a lively discussion uh, with Patrick, uh, Michelle Krebs from Cox Automotive, and then uh, Professor Masters from Wayne State. And they'll close out the day, and it will be a dynamic conversation. But you're right. They've come out. They've pegged the, the negotiations or the, the what's chicken out, Ford at $8.8 billion and GM at $9.3 billion as cost to those contracts to their companies. But they have said they're going to mitigate it. But that means things are going to change. Right. There is a cost to that, and we've seen that. They said they, they could trim a half billion dollars in one quarter and the next, but people are losing their jobs at the tech center and elsewhere on the salaried side. 
Well, and I think that's the thing we need to guard against. Look, we all went through some pretty tenuous times with the strike, and nobody would argue that that you know labor needed an increase. And labor and, and, and management in these companies built the state, so we have to have them work together, but they have to be competitive. And so when we look at manufacturing, they have to be efficient, but we also look at you know the design and engineering. Those are important jobs here, and we have to protect and maintain those jobs here in Michigan, too. Yeah. I'm eager to hear what Michelle has to say about how this is going to impact the, the product mix going forward because we've already seen them kind of retrench on EVs. Interesting story out of Axios that came out on Friday. And i got to tell you, Glenn, I'm, I'm surprised that there isn't more buzz about this. The Treasury Department came out and said, look, if your EV – has minerals and materials produced in China, it simply will not qualify for the $7,500 incentive. Do we know yet how many uh, automakers can can make it over this now higher bar? Well, they're all looking at where, where what will qualify and won't not won't. Um, that'll come out, but yeah, this is pretty significant. I mean, this is really what Senator Manchin was looking when the IRA was put together, but in 2024. Um, your EVs must not, they may not have any battery components made in what are called foreign entities of concern. And that's typically China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, but in this case really focused on China because 77% of the battery components come from China. So in 2025, that will include the minerals. So in 2024 and 25, EVs made with those materials and battery components from those Entities of concern will not be eligible for the $7,500 credit. So what does that mean for automakers that are working with Goshen up in Mid Rapids or with CATL and Marshall with their intellectual property? It's not minerals per se, but it is still Chinese content. Uh, The way I understand it, that uh, no more than 25% of, for example, a joint venture uh, or a foreign-owned company can be operating in the United States can be owned by one of those entities. So I'm not clear on on Goshen, but I would say that the Marshall plant would definitely meet that threshold. But it is going to there's going to be a lot of shakeout. The most important thing, though, is that we need to control our own supply chain and create those jobs and do that mining here as much as possible in our own country. That takes time. Glenn, uh, getting back to the the summit, uh, how will AI play a part in this in the summit? Well, in that's our first keynote, and Jonathan Prantner from One Magnify. We asked him because there's so much swirling around AI right now. We asked him to really to break it down for us to show us where it's at in the industry and really what AI means. And I've seen his his presentation and talked to him and gotten to know him. I, I think it's going to be very interesting because this is a force that's going to change everything from the shop floor all the way to design and engineering and the consumer's ability uh, to interface with the market too. So it's a big part of the the event tomorrow. Another big part is mobility and sort of where that's going in the future, correct? It is. Um, when we kind of first started using this word, we were looking at really four technologies, automated, electrified, connected, and shared technologies. Uh, autonomous and automated has kind of taken a back seat right now, but electrification is at the forefront. And we asked two analysts, John McElroy, who you know well, and uh, Joe McCabe, to really break down what's going on in this mobility space with regards to EVs. And that'll be an interesting conversation, too. Do we know uh, I mean, this this retrenching that we're seeing, this kind of a contraction or a postponing, 
What does that mean for the big investments that the state has made, either through the SOAR fund or through its its predecessors, Glenn? It, it just seems like the, the dividends may be smaller and also delayed. Well, what the state has done, and, and we listen, we've all been working on this together, is the right thing. Um, electrification is happening. The adoption of it due to the factors that you guys talk about quite frequently mm-hmm. is, is going to be slower than expected, but it is happening. And we have 12 assembly plants here in Michigan. So making sure that we have a supply chain around them as they slowly move towards electrification, that's essential to our economy, as is the R&D when it comes to the battery manufacturing that goes with it, too. So what the state is doing and you know the MEDC and the governor's office, it is the right thing. It's just happening a lot slower than people probably prognosticated not that long ago. Right. But it begs the question about whether or not that level of investment can be justified or and, and how easily it can be adjusted as these plans change. Well, it it can be justified because we need it, but you're right about the levels and the amount. One thing we do know, and this is what we're going to talk about at the summit, is innovation and our digital talent and our ability to be able to operate Right. And really, this digital economy is really important. So the investments in innovation and our tech talent is really what we're focused on for the future and the growth of Michigan. We look forward to it. We love the partnership between WJR and the Detroit Regional Chamber, Glenn, and I'm pleased to be a part of it. And, and do we have seats that need filling? Is there still some uh, folks that can register? We do. We're, ha- we're going to have a very full house, but we do have room. And you can go to mishauto.org. To register, it's from 11 to 4 at One Campus Marshes tomorrow, and we're going to have a great conversation about where Michigan's at in our mobility industry and where it's going. I promise to get a good night's sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Great. We'll see you tomorrow, guys. Glenn, it's always good to talk with you. A lot of really uh, profound topics that will be addressed tomorrow. We invite you to attend if you've uh, got an opening in your schedule tomorrow. Uh, Glenn Stevens with the Detroit Regional Chamber. When we come back, ESPN senior college football writer breaking down the Wolverines, the Crimson Tide, and, yeah, what happened to the Seminoles. It's all ahead on JR Morning, 649. What's the biggest obstacle to increased use of recycled aluminum in auto manufacturing? The compromised nature of the scrap stream from end-of-life automobiles. So said a panel of recycling experts at the Aluminum Transportation Group's annual Tech Forum in Detroit. University of Michigan engineering professor Daniel Cooper described it as contamination of the scrap stream by rivets, copper wire fragments, and other things that result from the imperfect process to separate different metals. In some instances, the panelists said, it was likely that OEMs and suppliers were being too stringent on their requirements for recycled aluminum. In other cases, panelists said new technology, like X-ray density scanning and laser-induced alloy separation, can help purify the mix. With ever greater governmental recycling goals, everyone from scrap collectors to OEMs will have to innovate with urgency. For SAE International, I'm Chris Klontz, and that's an eye on engineering. An eye on engineering is brought to you by Tajin Automotive. Technologies, the formula for better mobility. Just the moment I was born for, it feels like, you know, being able to be the number one team in the nation, first of all, playing the Rose Bowl against a great Alabama team, you know, SEC versus the Big Ten. Does it get bigger than this? I don't know. 
The college football playoff is set. The undefeated Michigan Wolverines taking on Alabama on January 1st. Adam Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN, was in the room when the Wolverines found out that they were number one. And then, Adam, you tweeted out the video when they found out they were playing Alabama. And the reaction was what? Tepid? Yeah, it was. You know, I, I do wonder a little bit whether it would have been that different if they played Florida State. I mean, Certainly the matchup would be a little bit easier. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the big debate was who's going to be number four. And, um, you know, that, they had seen Georgia was six, so they knew it wasn't going to be Georgia. And they knew it was going to be either Alabama or Florida State. And, you know, Bama pops on the screen. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's certainly a notable logo and, and somewhat of an intimidating one given who they are and what they've done under Nick Saban. But uh that's who they're playing, and, and we'll see how they respond, obviously, as the, the number one seed. And how they look against Georgia. So size up that matchup for us, Adam. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, Alabama's an interesting team because they weren't very good early in the season. They obviously lost uh, by 10 points at home to Texas. They never lose non-conference games, especially on their home field, and they struggled against South Florida on the road. Um, but and against Auburn. Yeah, and, and they obviously uh, struggled against Popcorn recently. So you know, it, it's a team that even though um, you know, they kind of touting their improvement, and that was Nick Saban's argument after the SEC title game, that, hey, we're not the same team that struggled early this year. Um, they, they did struggle not long ago, and, and we're very, very fortunate to even have a chance to get into the, to the playoff. It took a, a massive breakdown by Auburn on fourth down uh, and long to, to give Alabama a chance. But they're obviously talented. Um, they have you know the greatest coach of this generation. Um, Jalen Milrow is is a, a really dynamic dual threat player. So Michigan's defense is going to be tested, you know, maybe in ways that it hasn't all season. You know, Kyle McCord from Ohio State, the quarterback who actually just entered the transfer portal. I saw that moments ago. And um, Penn State's quarterback are not like Jalen Milrow. He Jalen's a lot more athletic than those guys are. So it's going to be a, a challenge for the, those Michigan defenders. And and then we'll see how JJ McCarthy and Blake Corum and those guys perform against. Uh, a very good Alabama defense, uh, and they're going to have to protect well. So this is going to be the biggest challenge of the season. We knew that, and we'll see if Michigan is up to it um, after, you know, getting to the playoff the last two years, but but certainly not performing at its best on the national stage. Adam, uh, the undefeated Florida State Seminoles were left out. Uh, Coach Mike Norville said he was disgusted and infuriated that uh, the committee's decision uh, to have what was earned on the field taken away because a small group of people decided they knew better than the results of the games. Yeah, and, and certainly I I, uh, I feel for Mike. And you know, I talked to another assistant coach there yesterday who described it as a gut punch. And, you know, again, as a coach, um, anyone who's played sports knows that there's adversity in sports and injuries are part of sports. And, you know, as a coach, you, you tell your players, hey, um, you know, let's overcome this. Let's show everyone that this isn't going to derail us. And they did that. Uh, they they won their last two games without Jordan Travis. And you know, was it the most uh, beautiful brand of football? No, uh, but 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 they won. You know, Michigan didn't win in a beautiful way on Saturday night. It was kind of a you know, was you know, Iowa was obviously struggling offensively, and Michigan didn't have to do a whole lot. So it, it just it's you do feel for them because you know, are they a team that a lot of people would have picked to? win the national championship, no, but they are undefeated and they won their conference and they challenged themselves outside of the conference. They have two wins against SEC teams uh, and you put an SEC team in ahead of them. That's 
that's certainly a very difficult thing and, and a very surprising thing, I think, for administrators who always talk about, you know, doing the right thing for the athletes. And, you know, you could, you could certainly argue they didn't do that in this case. Uh, Adam Harbaugh, first coach in league history to win three straight outright conference championships. You also reported that he said the team is not galvanized by adversity, but galvanized by choice, which is just an interesting way to word it. it there was certainly adversity this season. Yeah, yeah, and, that, that, and, and certainly some self-created adversity, you could argue. Um, but that that was that was one of the messages that that was certainly coming out of the. Uh, the ballroom yesterday is that is that they they choose to be um, you know galvanized and motivated right now and uh, they do have a lot to be motivated by honestly um, this is a team that a number of their guys could have gone on to the NFL already they chose to come back to Michigan they they want to win a national championship they want to show that they can have success in the playoffs and you know, if you guys really look at Michigan's history um, even under Jim Harbaugh's coach Bo Schembechler. It's a program that does well in the Big Ten and doesn't do well on the national stage. They don't perform well in this in this phase of the season, and so that's why they're motivated. Uh, from Blake Corum to JJ McCarthy to you know Chris Jenkins, some of the defensive players, Michael Barrett, you know, they want to show that they can win nationally, and that starts now. And you know, in, in a weird way, what better team to show that against than the University of Alabama? which has not only been, uh, you know, a, a great team in the SEC, but they've translated it and won nationally. They've won national championships. Mm-hmm. Michigan historically has not been that program, and that's what they're trying to change. That's the last part of the, you know, worm turning or whatever you want to say. They, they have these phrases, the, the, the narrative that they're trying to change around their program, and we can see if they can do it here in uh, a few weeks' time. Yeah, and they do it with the, the coach still having a question mark over his contract, which uh, mm-hmm. is, is yet another wrinkle in, in this drama. Uh, I'm with you on Florida State, Adam. It's it's just sad, and, you know, I think they, they need maybe more clearly defined protocols going forward as they expand this uh, to, to many more teams. Thanks for your insights, my friend, for getting up early. You bet, guys. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Oh, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but Kiss gave their final concert in Madison Square Garden. And at the end, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons are up there and they're saying goodbye to their fans. And there's, they're going to be have digital avatars in the future that will be doing right. things uh, online. But, you know, there they are in full makeup. And Simmons starts to cry. You mean? Oh, wow. And so the black they run start down. running down. Yeah, well, and it was kind of, he was almost like the old, the sad clown, Emmett Kelly. His big lips were turned down <laughs> in this frown, and it was accentuated by the makeup. But you could just tell how hard it was. And, you, you know, you're closing a chapter of your life that was huge. And, of course, Detroit was, was maybe their best venue. Yeah, uh, I, This is really where they should have ended it, was was here. And, and of course, they immortalized it in Detroit Rock City. But it it was quite a moment. I'm sure you can find it online. I did not oh, yeah. see it. I saw yeah, pictures. I, didn't, I just saw some pictures. It's yeah. worth seeing it as they said goodbye. And I mean, just Simmons is such a hulking figure on stage, and he's just the, this big guy, and he's clearly over. We had a reporter here uh, years ago who was in a cover band, a Kiss cover band, and he uh, would be in full makeup. He'd be doing a newscast because he had to leave and after the newscast <laughs> to go. Yeah, and he'd be in, in, the, in the booth there and with his full Gene Simmons. You know, you could you do know. that before social media. Yeah, you could. <laughs> I, uh, you know, somebody else is going to be shedding tears because he 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 wears his heart on his sleeve, and that's Jim Leland. 
Yes, this is exciting. I love Jim Leland. He was selected to the Hall of Fame. He was elected Sunday night by a near unanimous vote of the Hall of Fame's Contemporary Baseball Era Committee. He was the only one of eight candidates selected. So he will be inducted into the Hall of Fame on July 21st, 2024 in Cooperstown, of course. And so Everyone is congratulating him on social media. And one, of course, is Justin Verlander. He tweeted, I'm so incredibly happy for you and your family. When we first met, I was so nervous. You were already a legend. You quickly became more than just a manager, but a friend. Thank you for your faith in me from the beginning. And there are so wow. many of those online. So and is he going in with the Detroit Tigers? Yeah. So I, that's the question. I believe he is. If you want to know his stats, well, he's turned 79 this month, but mm-hmm. more than that, uh, he still works for the Tigers front office. That's right. why I think he's going to go in as a he Tiger. He was drafted by the Tigers. And he's managed the Pirates, Marlins, Rockies, and Tigers for 22 seasons. He's won 1769, 1,769 games. He finished first six times. He won the 97 World Series with the Marlins. Right. So I get your so, question, but yeah, I think Sparky Tigers. went in, that was a big deal, whether he was going to wear a Reds cap or a Tigers, a Tigers cap. cap. And, of course, he selected Cincinnati. Uh, that's what's on his plaque. But so, he, I think Tigers, because he still works for the Tigers, he's still so ingrained in this organization. That's what I think. Yeah. Lives in Pittsburgh, though, right? Lives in Pittsburgh. He's from Perrysburg, Ohio. But, you know, I've met him a bunch of times. I love him. I think his uh, one-liners are just the best. <laughs> Just the best. I, he he and I did a, an event together for um, Mercy Health, and he literally, I mean, we had a crowd of about 300 people there, and he said, I just so wish I could have brought a World Series victory home yeah. for this team. And, and you know he, he meant started it. He does believe to that. try. Yeah. yeah, and you know he, he meant He got it. choked up because I was never able to deliver that for you, and I'm so sorry. And it was heartfelt. Mm-hmm. He's just a good guy. He is, and that's why all these people on social media are just so thrilled for him. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, he, he he's he's going to do us well either way. What, no matter what cap he wears, right. he's going to be a tiger in the hall, mm-hmm. and and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, line five gets approval from the Michigan Public Service Commission. Um, this is you know to relocate this um, hydrocarbon pipeline where it would be safest, which is in a tunnel deep beneath the lake bed. Um, Enbridge is going to pay the entire freight. It has turned into a huge political football with those on the left pandering to the to the far left environmentalists saying that they, you know, oil and water don't mix. Well, oil and water can't mix if it's buried in a tunnel. Right. Uh, and so the, the problem now is that the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is doing its review. And uh, frankly, I think they're slow walking it. It's not going to be completed until 2026. So the very danger that they're hoping to avert. It's being, being punted for years. For, yeah, for, for at least three years. And, I mean, th- that may be an optimistic deadline. Um, we'll see where that heads. So, you know, this mysterious dog illness uh, guy that's spreading yeah. across the United States. Well, there is a veterinarian in Iowa who had a bulldog who was struggling to breathe. Uh, his owner brought him in. He was, he was really sick his his lungs were inflamed and he was like getting worse by the hour um the the veterinator the veterinarian said it appeared to be kind of like covid so they said you know last result gave him paxlovid paxlovid yeah and the the dog got better he recovered wow so you're saying i'm just saying i (laughs) always thought that it's it's an anecdotal 
Yes. But but I always thought that the the, the symptoms seemed like a, a a dog version of COVID. He the, the did ask the vet that we had on Friday that yeah. very question. And, now, and the vet said it was more kennel cough, but I, it just seems like it was more COVID. Well, it still looks like it's viral. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So I guess the other question is, he said something that the this this dog was not around other dogs. Right, and most of the dogs he's So was seen, it a human-to-animal transfer? Well, most of the dogs who came in had not been around other dogs, but their owners had just gotten over COVID. And there were no Chinese bats in that home? No. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that. <laughs> Lloyd's uh, got his conspiracies over there. <laughs> uh, well, but that, you know, it is interesting. But it is. And it's... We're still trying to figure out that mystery illness, so, you know, they're, they're trying to figure it out, so they're trying to do something because it's not responding to regular antibiotics, so... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And worth <laughs> noting. But again, anecdotal. I said anecdotal. this. There are going to be dogs wearing little masks everywhere now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard to keep them wearing their masks. Yeah. Along with their bite, their big right. bite collars, right. right? Time for WJR's Business Beat for your Monday morning. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation, to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community here on WJR. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. This morning on the Business Beat, we've got a program that entrepreneurs should consider if they need help realizing success with their small business. And after all, if you're a small business owner, who doesn't need all the help we can get? Now listen, this program is Verizon's free small business digital ready program. It consists of an online curriculum designed to give small businesses the personalized tools they need to succeed in today's digital first world. And it's being made available through select partners. We've got one on the show with us today. We've got Jamil Robinson, executive director of the Michigan-based business development organization, Grand Rapids Area Black Businesses. He's on to tell us about the program. Jamil, this is really cool. Tell us more. So the platform is Verizon's Small Business Digital Ready program, and it's accessible through the internet online. And so it's a platform created to you know, really be a resource to small businesses across this country. So Verizon invited myself and organizations, I think it was about maybe 10 to 12 organizations from all across the country. So Verizon was extremely intentional about ensuring that they got a broad band of individual organizations that represent the makeup of what small businesses represent every single day, whether they're businesses that are located in major metropolitan areas or in those that are also in rural areas all the way to the suburban areas as well. Yeah. So tell us about some of the solutions that are being provided. Yeah. So some of the needs, especially when it comes to small businesses on the technical assistance side, help with financial statements. What does the marketing plan look like? How do you brand? How do you build relationships with financial institutions? How do you prepare a cash flow statement? So the platform is very you know, robust and it really takes into account all the needs of businesses. If this program sounds good to you to sign up, go to startupnation.com forward slash Verizon dash landing. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of startupnation.com. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Boy, a uh, headline in the Wall Street Journal when you when you log on to their website. Evan Gershkovitz, this is 250 days since he was taken uh, in Moscow. Uh, he is a hostage. Of course, our concern for the hostages, they're still in the clutches of Hamas, uh, continues this morning with no talks on the horizon uh, about any ceasefire to continue bringing them back. Uh, that window is, seems to have closed. And then we had last week's, and I know you guys talked about it on Friday, this bombshell report from the New York Times that Israel had the Hamas battle plan 
but dismissed it as aspirational. Watching all of these stories is Jonathan Savage, our Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning. Give us a sense of the fallout in Israel about this report from the New York Times, I think also confirmed by other news outlets as well. Uh, is Israel is kind of being quite dismissive about it. Am I characterizing that correctly? I, th- I think you probably are. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, Israel's not really, you know, happy to engage with anything that goes beyond the the line that they're sending out right now because you know they're 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 very keen to um to to talk about how this took them by surprise um to talk about how uh they didn't see it coming um and um there's been sort of a real sort of blame game going on um particularly uh within Israeli politics you saw Benjamin Netanyahu uh, at one point seeming to to shift the blame onto his security advisors and then having to retract and and delete um his tweet um so but the 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 issue has always been whether uh, not whether they they did see this coming but whether they should have seen this coming um and i think that there's no doubt many people in israel feel that that the number one job of the israeli government to defend their people is something that benjamin netanyahu failed to match up to um and and we're now 59 days into this war he's still prime minister of israel but a lot of people wonder how long he'll be able to last in that job after this war comes to an end Jonathan, uh, you know, the, uh, Israel claimed that they considered this plan, you know, too difficult for Hamas to carry out. It, it kind of reminds me of a, a little bit of 9-11. You know, did, did the United States know some things and think, well, that's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to get in a plane and fly a plane into a building. I mean, is, is there some similarity there? Well, since the start of 2022, um, there's been a lot of focus on the West Bank, uh, the other uh, Palestinian area, uh, if you want to call it that, that the, the, uh, Israel has, has um, settled into and, and, and occupied. But that's where there's been the majority of skirmishes, of attacks uh, on Israelis have, have come from there. Um, Israeli raids into refugee camps targeting what they say are terrorists. Um, and it was felt that if there was going to be any threat to Israel, it could well come from the West Bank, that the Gaza was contained, that there'd be the rocket fire every so often, but Israel's Iron Dome should be able to deal with that. Um, so, you know, I, again, it comes down to, I don't know if, if you can make the 9-11 comparisons um, too deeply, but if, if you want to say that um, Israel's, Israel was looking elsewhere for the threat uh, and didn't see it coming from one direction because its eyes were turned the other way, um, perhaps there's a, a sort of comparison with 9-11 there. Uh, Jonathan, Israel now pushing into the south of Gaza, which is even more densely populated, and the people were told to go there. So now what happens? Uh, John Kirby was on Meet the Press, and it seems like the U.S. has to sort of be very delicate in what they say right now. Yeah, at the start of the war, Israel told people in Gaza, go south. Now they're telling people in Gaza, go even further south, because Israeli troops are moving away from that original theater of war, the northern part of Gaza. Um, They've sent out maps 
telling people um, which parts of the city of Khan Yunus, which is in the south of Gaza, they should not be in, they should evacuate from, telling people to head towards the sea, towards the Egyptian border. Many of those people, of course, have already been displaced. Many of those people have moved at least once, possibly twice, don't have homes, don't have food or, or water. Um, and there's been over 400 airstrikes across Gaza uh, at the weekend. Um, and yes, the message coming from uh, the United States uh, continues to be Israel has the right to defend itself. But more and more, we're hearing from figures like John Kirby and from Loy Austin, the defense secretary, that Israel could face unintended consequences. That Israel could face what uh, Lloyd Austin called a strategic defeat mm -hmm. if it fails to protect civilians in Gaza. There's also this issue that's it's really been percolating and it seems to be exploding now about the, the treatment of women by Hamas, the sexual atrocities and the, the mass rapes that have, have occurred. Pramila Jayapal, the far left Republican, uh, the far left Democrat, rather, from, from uh, uh, Washington, was on with Dana Bash over the weekend on CNN and was asked about this, you know, kind of a, where's the outrage from the far left of the treatment of women? And she quickly pivoted to condemn Israel. And when Dana pushed back, she said, I'm done talking about it, basically. Is there similar frustration that you are hearing uh, there in Europe? And also, where's the, where's the outrage at the United Nations? Yeah, there's been frustration absolutely voiced in the last week um, about um, a lack of discussion over the, the sexual violence which um, Hamas militants carried out, as well as the, um, the, the, the killings um, and the kidnapping. Um, and in fact, people were saying, why did the United Nations not speak up about this early on? Now, a UN Commission of Inquiry um, is being set up, will launch an appeal for evidence, but there are claims that uh, the United Nations had, had been too quiet on this, that they, they hadn't talked about this and not understanding why um, women's groups in Israel speaking up about this. So, yeah, we've had reports, um, particularly here in the UK, the, the, the Sunday Times newspaper um, came out with a, a really, really strong report with eyewitness accounts of, of what Hamas attackers were doing, um, among the most shocking accounts that we've seen since, the, since October 7th. So, yeah, there's definitely a sort of momentum growing um, to hold uh, the, the attackers to justice and sort of to hold the international community to justice as well. Um, what is the feeling then of what is going on in Gaza and, and the videos that are coming out? Because it certainly feels like there's a shift in our country. I think, yeah, more and more you're seeing in, um, I would say, sort of left of center newspapers here, newspaper columns, more and more op-eds, um, you know, just saying that, there's one I just saw on Friday. I think I think that the headline was was um, you can't uh, whatever your view of of the war, uh, you have to acknowledge that rape is rape, um, even you know and and you can't trivialise that, um, then and that you can't that that you can't sort of pour all your empathy, all your feelings towards the Palestinians uh, without feeling a great empathy uh, and great great sort of uh, repulsion for what has been carried out on Israelis. So, you know, while we've seen a lot of polarisation, people feeling the need to pick a side, I think we are getting to a place in the public debate here in the UK where people are, are starting to show a little bit more nuance, um, which may, you know, that, that may then sort of 
bleed onto the political uh, the political pressure that goes towards Israel and, and Gaza as well. All uh, stories we will be watching throughout the week as they continue to develop. Jonathan, we thank you for your time this morning. Jonathan Savage, our Fox News radio correspondent. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. By the way, something else to watch this week is is the funding for Israel and Ukraine. And it may mm-hmm. have come to a head. We've got Democrats now in the Senate saying, hey, we're we're willing to raise the standards for asylum. We're willing to address the immigration situation on the southern border. We heard it from Melissa Slotkin mm-hmm. when we talked to her last week. Um, the the far left is going crazy. Their hair is on fire. And there's also a question about whether or not the far right in the House will go along with it because we'll, they'll want things to go much farther than that. But at least a window of opportunity to address. At least discuss it. Exactly. Yeah. Address both these issues in tandem. You're on JR Morning. Coming up exactly 30 minutes from now, a WJR Morning uh, exclusive, former mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. He has gone through a religious conversion. He has been cited with realtors yeah, here so around, in and around the Detroit A lot of talk area. about him coming back to Michigan. Whether he's coming back, is there a political future from him? He has said no in the past. Has that changed? But we, we, we look forward to uh, discussing these issues, including restitution mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, what he may still owe this yes. community by way of explanation. And uh, we'll get into all of that with him and uh, eager to hear from him. And, uh, and that will come up, as I said, at, at 8.05. Meantime, we are savoring uh, a football team that is and 9-3, the first time since 1962 that the Lions have done that after taking down the New Orleans Saints 33-28. Uh, there was kind of a lull there in the second and third quarter. We'll find out more about that. But... Uh, we are in a high cotton when it comes to the Detroit Lions. Lomas Brown, color analyst for the Detroit Lions Radio Network and host of WJR Sports Wrap at 6 p.m. every night here on JR, uh, joins us live. Are you wearing Mardi Gras beads as you're waking up this morning? <laughs> Just asking. You know, I'm still trying to recover from all the food I ate down there. Oh, oh I my bet. Goodness, man. Oh, I was in the food coma for a couple of hours down there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Well, at least we don't have the bitter aftertaste that we had on Thanksgiving, big man. Yeah, I, that is so so well put, guys. This so is well put. the bounce back team. Tell me what you saw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a resilient team. I've seen the team that went into a hostile situation, went into a, a, a team another, playing another team that was really desperate to get things turned around. And I seen us go in there and dominate up front. And I knew it would be important, especially for our offensive line after the game we had last week. I would be it would be important for our O line to get in there, open holes for the running backs, protect Jared Goff. I thought they did a great job of doing that. I thought our defense got turnovers um that helped our team and they made the big big stops when they had to and we got the big conversions at the end to seal the game so well fought game well won game by the lions yesterday and and lo i I guess i have to to understand it was a win i didn't necessarily like the way it it happened because we were you know up 21 points in the beginning and then they they came back but i gotta understand you know i can't complain about the fact that they were not winners before and then complain about how they win now i I gotta just take the w yeah but but again lord you doing what you see you're looking at us not right now you're looking at how we're going to be in four or five weeks 
when we when we start facing these these teams yeah. that we might see in the playoffs, when we start looking at a San Fran, when you look at a Philadelphia or Dallas Cowboys, when you start looking at those upper echelon teams, you want to see where we fit in there. So, yeah, absolutely, man. You should be looking that way because you know what? That's how the players are looking, and especially that's how the coaching staff is looking at each and every victory that these get, these guys have. Lomas, how about Sam Laporta? This rookie comes in, and he had a career-high nine catches, 140 yards, and an early touchdown. And when he needed to make a catch to make a first down at the end of the game, he did it. Jamie Clutch. I'm telling you, the guy plays like a veteran, man. It's just uncanny how he's able to just sit down in soft spots in the zone and present a target for Jared. When he's matched up one-on-one or man-to-man, they have man-to-man coverage on him, he beats it. I, during the game, I was watching to see how many different combinations of guys that they put on Sam to try to stop him. They had a, a safety on them. They tried to put a corner, a big corner on them. They tried the linebacker. Nothing worked. It seemed like every time the ball was thrown his way, he came up with it, man. And I'm telling you, that has to be so comforting to Jared Goff to know that he has a weapon like Sam Laporta and he can block too, Jamie. <laughs> the man has the total package. TJ Hawkinson who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh of the Vikings, uh Nick just uh forwarded something to me from Twitter, uh, which says that if the playoffs were held today, the Vikings would be coming to Ford Field for round one. Dang, not shocked by that. I take now, that matchup. Yeah, that that would be a nice matchup for us. Again, they're getting better and better, uh, guy. They are. They're a team that's getting better and better. I know they don't have their quarterback, and they're dealing with a, a kind of like a journeyman quarterback at Josh Dobbs. But the rest of the team seem like they stepped up their game, and that's what's helping these guys kind of stay afloat or really kind of yeah. helping these guys to thrive, too. Well, that'll we, be, what, our third matchup against them inside of six weeks, if that's the case? Yeah, and that's tough. It's tough beating the team three times, believe me. I know it's tough beating the team three times like that. But, again, I would rather face them than face some of the other teams that we would have, that we could possibly face. Uh, Lo, what do you think about that die from J-Mo? I mean, that, that was kind of scary. It was funny at first, but then it's kind of scary, too, because you don't, my eyes. you don't want him to get hurt. He didn't have to do that. But, you know, what do, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, J-Mo, he's going to give you some flair now. He gonna, he's going to give it to you, man. And, Lloyd, what I want to know, I want to know once he turned that corner on the flea flicker, uh-huh. I want to know what his top speed hit. What MPHs did he get up to? <laughs> that dude was moving he was. when he turned that corner, man. <laughs> Lomas, they go to the Bears next Sunday. And you, we know how you feel about the Bears. They suck. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they suck. Yeah, they, they, they suck. <laughs> we play that all the time now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they do, Jamie. And I want us to beat them down. It's going to be a tough game, though, Jamie. You've seen the last game here at Ford Field. Those guys, I, I, we're going to get the best from every team from
from here out, these next five games, we're going to get the best from these teams, starting with Chicago. Um, I think they're going to try to play us tough. I think they're going to try to bring in the same game plan that they brought to Ford Field and almost beat us with. I think they might coach it a little better than they did last game because I do think the coaches blew that game for mm-hmm. the Bears. So it's going to be another tough game. But, Jamie, it could be a prove game. We could prove, get right against the Bears. We could go out there and really, really put our foot on their necks. And that will show people, show our fans that, hey, we're a team that's ready to move on and really advance throughout this year. And we're fighting the weather, too, out there because at Soldier Field, you know, who knows what the weather is yeah. going to be out there. Well, which could be a good thing because I'm telling you, when you get in the playoffs, you may have to go to a cold right. uh, cold weather place, a bad weather place. So it could be good for us to go through a little adversity right now compared to later on in the year. Speaking of adversity, we lost Alex Anzalone. Uh, Jack Campbell stepped up big time yesterday. That was nice to see for, from the rookie. Yeah, so we lost Alex Anzalone for a game, but the, guess what, guy? We added a little baby Anzalone. Yeah, I know. He just That's had a right. little girl. We, we got a new one. There you go. We've added a new one. We'll take all girl. the fans we can get. I know. <laughs> and some people on Twitter are saying he just wanted to be there for his baby. He's also injured. He just happened to also yeah. coincide. You know, just a little insight. And, and kudos to Dan uh, Campbell, too, um, to think about that, because I'm quite sure they had something to do with uh, Alex not making the trip. But like you guys are saying, man, Jack Campbell, I'm telling you, this guy has impressed me from day one, man. Yeah. He's been playing, I think, at a high level again to be a rookie. One of our young impact guys, along with Brian Branch and, you know, these guys that are really making impacts for impact plays for so to me it's going to be hard keeping him off the field to be honest with you he's shown what he can do it's going to be hard keeping him on jack cam off the field even when alex gets back all right meantime get those long johns on lomas you're going to soldier field (laughs) i'm ready i got the mittens and everything (laughs) stay warm buddy and we look forward to talking to you after what we uh hope will be another lions win take them to 10 and 3 thank you sir Absolutely. You guys take care. All right. We come back. Our uh, weekly check-in with Nolan Finley here on JR Morning. So much to talk about on this Monday morning with our good friend Nolan Finley, the editorial page editor for the Detroit News. Nolan, good morning. Good morning, Guy. It appears that there is no shortage of folks on both sides of the aisle that would like to remove Rashida Tlaib. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they are lining up. And, you know, of course, we all know what uh, she's been up to over these last few weeks. Uh, uh, and, you know, we've heard the rumors that uh, the opponents, uh, potential opponents, were offered up to $20 million each in campaign funds to run against her. So, uh, but I still don't know if it's going to be enough to, to get her out. She's a very, very good campaigner, good politician. Uh, in terms of her political skills, and, you know, who knows? But she does have a target. Is there anybody out there, Nolan, who who, who could stand a chance if they, if they had the wherewithal and the money, the backing? You know, I, I heard yesterday from a couple of former um, state lawmakers who from, from Detroit who are interested. Um, I don't know. I think 
you know, if you got somebody, uh, you know, an African-American woman from Detroit with some name recognition, an Arab-American from Dearborn with some name recognition who's willing to take her on and eat into her base. Uh, but uh, she got uh, about 68% of the vote last time. Uh, so you know, it's, it's going to take a big effort. It's going to take somebody starting right now and uh, working nonstop to, uh, to, to get her out. But I think the money will be there uh, if they can recruit a candidate. Uh, Nolan, Caitlin wrote, Caitlin Buss wrote an opinion piece saying Me mm-hmm. Too doesn't apply to Hamas rape victims. And Dana Bash yeah. talked about it this weekend on television. Where is the outrage for what happened to women on October 7th? Well, and listen to how Jaya Paul uh, oh, responded to, to Dana Bash's question. And I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women. the actions. Absolutely. The, the rape, the, of course. But I think we have to remember that Israel is a democracy. That is why they are a strong ally of ours. And immediately pivots to condemning Israel on something else. Hmm. Well, I mean, rape as a weapon of war is as old as time. And uh, we are supposed to be in an era now where we recognize uh, that and we contemn misogyny. Uh, And as Caitlin wrote, the United Nations and its Women's Commission, uh, silent on this, no condemnation. Uh, it, it really is baffling that, that you hear some of the stories of, of from from Israelis, from the victims, and it, it just doesn't penetrate. It doesn't it doesn't resonate uh, with the people who are supposed to be standing up for women. So it's a terrible incident, and mm-hmm. you know we need to remind ourselves of the atrocities uh, every day uh, because the. The the drumbeat against Israel just keeps getting louder, and you have to wonder how much time do they actually have to fulfill their mission. Yeah. Nolan, you said the the way to end the bloodshed in Gaza is is not the ceasefire, but to just you know get the job done and finish Hamas. You got to disarm Hamas. You have to disband Hamas, or this is never going to end. Even during the ce- temporary ceasefire. Hamas continued to fire rockets into Israel. You can, you know, there's going to be no negotiated peace here because there's not an honest uh, negotiating partner. Uh, you can't, you, you couldn't, you can't take anything Hamas says at its word. So Israel's been here before. It's always backed down. It's always signed a, a false truce, and it always ends up here again. I don't think this time uh, it's willing to do so. What happened on October seventh? was so awful and so horrendous. I don't think Israel's going to back down uh, until it destroys Hamas. And in the end, that'll be best for the Israelis and the Palestinians. Over the weekend, one of our ships was forced to defend itself against an attack from Houthi rebels uh, operating out of Yemen. And yet we should point out that the Biden administration doesn't even classify the Houthis anymore as a terrorist organization. Yeah, and they've been actively engaged in this in this war on the side of Hamas, and we want to ignore that because we don't want to get drawn into a broader conflict. But we may we we may have no choice here. You can't allow 
your people to be attacked. I, I mean, our bases are under constant uh, rocket fire, missile fire. And Iran that's is behind it all. Now. You're right. And, that, and that's what we're trying to avoid here. I mean, we're trying to avoid a confrontation with with Iran that is going to be unavoidable, I feel. Nolan, what about the Republican Party? There might be a, a pathway to get Christina Caramo out. What do you think? Do you think that's viable and it will happen? I would hope so. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've written before that the National Party should step in and just reorganize this chapter yeah. uh, of their party because you know, they, they might get Chris, Christina Caramo out with um, some procedural move here, but the same folks that elected her will be electing her successor. And, you know, their motives are not to win election. I mean, they're, they've got a whole different set of, of uh, things they want to accomplish with the Republican Party that have very little to do with winning elections. Uh, I think it's key to get uh, the party in control uh, of uh, by a whole more rational set of Republicans before we head into 2024 when uh, candidates are going to need a viable party if they hope to succeed. Yeah, it appears there's a vote uh, set for December 27th, a special mm-hmm. uh, committee vote on that. We'll await what happens there. In the meantime, uh, on the Senate side of things, on Capitol Hill, Nolan, it appears that the uh, there are some moderate Democrats that are willing to tie in, uh, stricter asylum standards, uh, willing to bring our immigration mess in the southern border into the discussion about Israeli and, and Ukraine uh, funding. Uh, do you think that will actually happen, or will it get scudded by the far le- scuttled by the far left and the far right? I don't think the president will let that happen. I mean, what they're trying to do here with this aid package uh, for Israel, Ukraine, uh, with some left over for the border, is uh, to speed up the processing, uh, to get people in here faster, and to help Democratic cities uh, where these uh, uh, immigrants and migrants have have been settling to help them out uh, with their problems to deal with this influx. Uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of talk about, hey, we're going to secure this border and stop this. Um, we had one day last week where 9,000 people right. walked through. Uh, but I don't really believe there there's much of an appetite in the Democratic side to fix this. Uh, well, certainly not on the far left. They're screaming their heads off about th- those in the Senate that are even approaching this. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. I guess if their hair's on fire, I consider that a, a good thing. Uh, <laughs> Nolan, have a great week, and thanks for being with us this morning. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. When we come back, the former mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick. It is a back-to-work Monday. The Lions are 9-3. and three. All is right with the world. It is December 4th, 2023. One, mm, 21 days till Christmas. And 106 days till spring. I'm, I'm starting to <laughs> till countdown. Golf. Yeah, yeah. till golf. I, I, I got a little taste of winter coming uh-huh. down from up north last weekend, and I've had enough of it already. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And we have a special guest in the studio. This That's morning. right, Guy. We welcome into JR Morning former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, who, after being convicted in 2013 of several crimes in federal court, was sentenced to prison for 28 years. He was released from prison in January 2021 after former President Donald Trump commuted his sentence to time served. 
and <laughs> since his release. That's he's not a MAGA hat you're wearing, yeah. though. No, 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 it says girl dad. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Girl so dad. since his release, he's gotten married. He's had uh, two children, and he started a ministry. He has a new job, and he may be heading back to Michigan. So let me Uh-oh. ask you, that's the first question. The because, whispers in the Uh-oh. real estate that's community. It. Oh, Lord. So, so what's going on with that? You know, I, I've, I almost vowed in the prison cell that I'd never come back to Michigan, but it's home. Um, and once you get the pressure off you and you go through a few years of that, and you start getting more free and more free and more free. I always tell people I was free before I left, and then I got out of prison. Uh, but when I came back, I married a woman from Detroit. Her entire family is here. My family is here. Sure. And so when we came here, I wasn't coming often, but you know, I'd come yeah. preach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most I stayed in Detroit was two nights. I would never stay more than two nights. I said, I don't want to be on nobody's news. I don't want to be around here. I'd go to a few restaurants and get out. Um, but the more we came, the more, you know, we felt home. You know, I, I start, you know, to see some people I hadn't seen in a long time, family members and different folks. And so what we started doing, we said, you know, I've never really gone around Detroit as a visitor um, looking to say, okay, how are the schools here? <laughs> um, where's the, where are the nice neighborhoods? And so I told Lloyd, we just start going to model homes. We start going to different things mm-hmm. to look at a house, look at different stuff. And I, listen, I went to a neighborhood in somewhere. Um, I can't remember where, but I got several calls. He's moving to that neighborhood. Listen, we left town the next day. There was no moving. There was no anything. But with all this family here, are you at least considering it? Yes. I, I, at some point, I want to come back here. But and you're not running no for nothing, though, now, because you know people no, are going to say, "Let me uh, tell you, something. he's coming back because Can he's going to try run to run for something." Right? If you're commuted, well, I, I, you know, well, no, you all have a constitution. Somebody has to challenge it because it's unconstitutional. But uh, you all have a state constitutional provision. I think they said it was made for me. I just found out about it in the last six months. I didn't know about it until I think it was Monica Conyers or something. She okay. was, And they told me it was a Kwame rule. Uh, I said, wow. But that's okay. for state offices. So mm-hmm. if somebody can run for a federal office. But state offices, you have to challenge the Constitution. But I have absolutely no desire. Let me just say it. Because it shouldn't be so definitive. No, let me tell you. I have no desire to ever be in elected office again. And... Um, I don't have any plans to run. When I come here, you know, by the grace of God, I got out of that prison cell to help other people get free before they get uh, incarcerated. And I spent six and a half years doing that on a prison yard, talking to everybody from the Mexican mafia guys to the Crips, the Bloods, the GDs, the, the Vice Lords. And, 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 and you you were quite candid. You saw some horrific I did. things. I saw horrific. I I, I I went to prison on May 24th. I saw my first person killed on July 4th. Oh, my. And so you for guys me. You confessed that they were considering raping other prisoners. You had oh, guys yeah. come to you. Oh, yeah. Sit with me in counsel. I, I'm, I'm going crazy. I feel like I need to kill someone. Or I feel like I need to rape somebody. Or I need to take somebody. Or um, I had the full experience. And I know people, um, they thought I was at like a camp. I've never been to a camp. My last... A couple years were at a low, but I was at high security prisons. So my cellies were lifers. I had four cellies that were lifers. I had a cellie that had 35 years. Um, and so being in the midst of these environments, you learn a lot from these guys. And, and you find out that the, that their lives almost dictated from a very young age that they would be in that cell. 
Um, I was opposite. You know, I I was the good kid on the block. I did my homework. I got good grades. But uh, character and integrity is something um, that has to be upheld in every human being. I and don't you, care where you're from. And you said you had gifts that your character and and, and integrity didn't. Yeah. Couldn't take I, you to I, I could, gifts that they couldn't take you to. Man, I could really look at a budget in this town or on the state level or even appropriations on the federal level and understand it immediately. I could figure oh, out you were how, a wonk. how we really yeah. get money to come in, how we get this riverfront done. What do we need to do? Uh, when when uh, I think it was the Kresge put, uh-huh. put up $50 million as a match to $5 million. How do we reprogram money in Washington? I went to my mom and said, Mom, how do we reprogram this appropriation money so we get to $5 million so we get to fifty? That part was easy. It was easy to run a campaign. It was easy to do politics. Uh, it was grinding, but it was fun. Um, the part that I didn't understand is how to balance that with family, how to leave your, your sinful proclivities uh, <laughs> uh, behind you, how big the chair was. Were I you too know, young? I don't believe I was too young. I believe I was me, Kwame, not mature in some areas that I needed to be mature in because if I was too young, I wouldn't have understood the body politic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the um, that there's some dynamic character and integrity-driven 31- and 32-year-olds. But I also believe that there are some old fools. So uh, there were no good gray hair people coming to me saying, um, go home. So I'm that guy now. I counsel uh, people around the country, uh, politicians, guys call me. I go and I fly to them and... And so I had a guy the other day in New York. Uh, I said this yesterday when I preached um, that he was telling me all the things he wanted to do and what he wanted to get into. And I said, hey, man, first thing you need to start doing is stop cheating on your wife. He was like, how did you know that? And I said, well, I could see it. And we need to talk about that. Before you tell me what position and what you should run for and a congressional seat is open, we need to talk about how you're cheating on so I've become the guy that I wish I had. Uh-huh. I wish I had somebody to look me in the eye and say, man, sit down somewhere. Go home. What are you doing? Why are you in here working yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning? What is, I mean, I, I needed that person when I was in office. And thank God, uh, through a mighty crushing and, and, and different experiences, he's made me that guy for a lot of people. And I'm thankful for that. You have taken responsibility for that portion of your life. Do you take responsibility for what sent you to prison? Because some people would like to hear that from you. Well, yeah. The, the, the issue that I have on that, uh, and, I, and I, watched the ju- I saw the judge's remarks, is I was fighting my case because I didn't believe my case was right or true or there were a lot of elements of it that were just absolutely far-fetched and misguided that I actually got found guilty on. I spent seven years fighting this case. I made a petition to the president and showing them every single thing that was wrong in the case. That's different from taking responsibility for being a fool, (laughs) for absolutely um, walking the ethical line in a way that you should not have, for hiring people that were absolutely abominable in their positions and allowing them to profit in that position. It It was a lot of things in that job that I didn't do well, but primarily... Um, it was that I understood that I represented the whole city of Detroit, white, black, um, business guys, um, neighborhood folk. Uh, and I failed at representing them when I told them on two campaign trails that I would. And I've accepted that responsibility, apologized profusely. Um, but now trying to have the fruit of that repentance, make good on that. If I've learned anything, 
is that even through trial, tribulation, and problems, you can find a way to give back what you've learned in that crushing, and that's what I'm trying to do now. And we want to learn more about that. Also, you've got some, I think, really interesting insights into the makeup of our legislature and their agenda <laughs> these days, and we will continue. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was good. You saw that? Yeah, we, okay. we will continue the conversation with former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. I, I didn't blindside you with that, did I? No, no, that was good. All right, good. That was good. That's how casual conversation comes yeah. into the interview. It's also I called, love it. It's also called a tease. It's 814 on JR Morning. More with the former mayor when we come back if you're just joining us we have a special guest in the house for this monday edition of jr morning the former mayor of the city of detroit kwame kilpatrick 10 years out uh from his trial and conviction uh, of course uh released as uh, president trump was hitting the exits uh given a commutation of his sentence gotta ask you you know uh he's going magination on us yeah uh you know that there are folks out there saying, okay, a uh, corrupt politician condemned by prosecutors is taking advantage of an impoverished city. He goes to prison, does a little time, maybe 12, 14 months, all of a sudden finds Jesus Christ, and now he's a reformed man. And they're going, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Speak to the skeptics out there. And, and, and how you've demonstrated that, whether it's through... Um, you know, uh, the, the restitution, whatever it may be, how you're going to demonstrate that this is an authentic conversion. I think the only demonstration that any person could do is just to live their lives. I think time would tell it all. To answer those questions this early, I think that they should have questions. I think critics should be there. I think it's something that um, should um, persist in a person's life that is hurt or damaged something that they care about mm-hmm. or, or them themselves. So I, I, um, I welcome it actually. I, I think that is something that keeps me understanding, um, that this is more than about Kwame Kilpatrick. And for me, it's not about conversion as much as it is about the fruit of whatever you say. If, if you say you've been through this, fine, we want to see it. So when here, um, Issues are constantly and consistently brought up about Kwame Kilpatrick. And so uh, restitution is one that they throw around all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been fighting the restitution since I got it. You have to understand, you that it's, it's tied to absolutely nothing. Most people in, the, in, in that, that have that thought believe that it's stolen money. You know, that was in the newspaper all the time. He stole money. I don't have a single charge for stealing any money. Well, there, was, there were charges of allegations of bid rigging. Uh, you know, if you want to do a contract with the city, talk to Bernard. Yeah. There was a lot. He of got that. found guilty of none of that. See, this is that's what I'm saying. We've been telling these stories for a long time. <laughs> and so let me just let me just get to it. It ended up being at first it was hundreds of millions of dollars. You remember that. You mm-hmm. were probably one of the <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, when I got to the to the to the court on the first day, they said nine point six. That was the first day I heard that number. In closing statements, the prosecutor said four point seven. And we were trying to figure out where is this loss coming from? So all of this bid rigging, you're right. Bid rigging, all this kind of stuff. They said, no, no, no. It's one contract. It's a fifty-four million dollar tra- contract in the water department. We're talking about that contract. So all of the hoopla for 10 years was about $154 million contract. And there was a companion case to it, a civil case, suing me for the same $54 million. So after we get found guilty, I file an appeal on the restitution. Mm-hmm. I win. Federal court said, it's not, where's the loss? 
So they had to find the loss. The federal government, I mean, the uh, Court of Appeals put it at zero. They had to find the loss. He said, no, no, it's not 9.6. It's not 4.7. It's 1.5. 1.5 million is now because they had to come up with a theory. The $1.5 million in restitution, Detroit, is for a $54 million contract where the government says, I used an intricate scheme to get Bobby Ferguson in the contract as a subcontractor, and the city or water department had to pay $1.4 million more on this contract. So I get the theory. So then now the judge says at sentencing, Whatever the money they forfeited from Bobby Ferguson, because it's actually Bobby Ferguson's 1.5. It's not Kwame Kilpatrick. That's the thing. But he's not as sexy as me. So we talk about Kwame all the time. That 1.5, he need to pay us, pay us, pay us. Well, Bobby Ferguson then, the judge says, when Bobby Ferguson says they forfeited a lot of stuff, equipment, offices, homes, real quick, from Bobby Ferguson, she said, apply everything you forfeited to the restitution. They forfeit over $4 million. I said, just apply it, and we're done. But that, That's what we're doing now. But as a demonstration of regret and repentance. Yes. Symbolic. Symbolic or otherwise. And I understand I want to get too deep in the weeds on your appeals, but where is that? Where, where is it right where's now? That, where's that manifesting? Where's that demonstrating? Where's that right now? I pay it every month. Never missed a payment. Never missed a payment. Never once. I saw an article that I never paid a dollar. Yeah, you yeah paid. That was the most ridiculous years. thing in the world. I pay uh, restitution every month. And matter of fact, that's a condition of my supervised release. So I don't know where that came from. It's just erroneous information. Every month I have to pay it on by the fifth of each month, mm-hmm. and I paid it for the almost three years that I've been out every month. By the way, that, it's the fourth. Just, just want to let you yeah, know. You by, by the, oh no, no, I paid for it. Listen, I pay it on the first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so you know, by the grace of God, I have the ability to do that. But I mean. But the other thing about it is where it is now is I want the court to reconcile what what do I owe? Mm-hmm. What are you saying? So I you're owe? still you still got cases pending. You're still no, fighting this. Because the judge now says I owe $193,000. So we went from 9.6 billion, 4.7, 1.5, now it's 193,000. So now it's, so I said they want me to just settle on that. And I said what is that for? See nobody wants me to ask the question. What is the $193,000 for? Because if, if they they want me to be integral, then I need the process to be integral. This is the first time with President Trump speaking as we make this transition. I want to know. Yeah. Watch this shift. Uh, watch <laughs> out. I'm about to do this Iverson crossover. This is the first time I heard that it's a two-tier justice system. And I'm hearing that from Republicans. I'm hearing it from, from whites that the justice system is not fair. In America... The justice system is only fair when it's kicking somebody's butt we don't like. When it's kicking somebody's butt we like, we claim that it's not fair. But inherently it's not. So the problem that, 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 that I have is that if I fight my case, then I'm not being integral. And that is something that in America we should never advocate for. That my democratic rights, my, my, my constitutional rights, um, uh, I have to do that. Now, Donald Trump, how did he get me out? Yeah. Yes. It was the most amazing, miraculous thing that's ever happened. Um, dozens of people went to Donald Trump and asked him to release me. People from this community wrote letters, uh, Sherry Dagnogo, um, Bishop Wayne T. Jackson. But then what I knew about them going, um, you had some Republican speakers, former Republican speakers here in the House. Who go, you served with. Who I served with. Craig DeRoche went. 
Um, Pete Carmanos had a meeting out there. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't call none of these people. I couldn't hear from any of these people mm-hmm. I hadn't talked to in literally years were going on their own. <clears throat> a woman named Alice Johnson. Alice Johnson is the woman who Kim Kardashian right. uh, went and got out of prison in Trump. Mm-hmm. She had a meeting in Memphis, and a lady from Detroit was there with her daughter. I still don't know who this lady is, but I saw what she gave her. She gave uh, Alice Johnson and said, I need your help to get my mayor out. And she, a little old lady handed her a paper. She said she went to the hotel. She couldn't, you know, I, did, I never met this woman. She's never met me. She said, but I, I, the Lord just wouldn't let you off my mind. She goes to Trump. And then another uh, pastor here in Pontiac, Keon Payton, who was work, doing some work for the White House then, he meets with Bishop J. Drew Sheard. And J. Drew Shear at the same time asked him to get me out. So it was just so, so many different So he was compelled. People. How did you find <clears throat> out? I found out I was in a cell. In a, uh, you want to do it when we come Quick. Back? No. Well, oh, I was in a solitary confinement cell, January 19th, midnight count. I knocked on the door and I asked the officer. I told him, I said, I got a commutation. He said, who told you? I said, the Lord told me. He said, I'll kill Patrick. Go ahead. One o'clock in the morning, he came back, opened the door. He said, who told you you got a commutation? I said, the Lord. He showed me the free press and news and said, you got a commutation. That's how I found out. No news, no anything. A CO told me I was getting out. Five o'clock in the morning, the warden came, said, we're getting out of you out of here quick and quiet. He came back and got me. I was at the airport by 10. I was in my mother's living room. I was in my mother's living room eating uh, crab cakes and uh, uh, <laughs> cheesecake <laughs> at, at 2 o'clock that afternoon. Can you hang around for another segment? I can. All right. Former Mayor Kwame Kiltrack, Patrick, will be back. And in studio with us, former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. And I have a question about your new position. You have a new position yes. at a nonprofit, I believe. Yes, sir. Uh, that's uh, uh, Alice Johnson's nonprofit. Talk about that. Executive yeah. director. Alice Johnson, who I just spoke about, um, she um, got out of prison five years ago. Um, Kim Kardashian, her were very close, uh, are very close. And and she introduced her into a whole w- different world of people. Uh, Kim is amazing. She really is. And so um, she started and launched a foundation with the help of so many different people. Uh, the foundation is called Taken Action for Good or TAG Foundation. Um, it's in the criminal justice space. We, t- number one, tell stories of people that are in we commutations, compassionate release, and parole, humanizing people. And then the last part, we have a program, SIPS, Context Informed, um, prevention strategy, which we're now launching in two cities, one Memphis and the other one Detroit. Okay, uh, I, I, you know I pushed to get Detroit in, where um, we Ron DeCosta, who's over that program, he comes in and really works with people in the mental behavior, social behavior space. So it's a good opportunity for me. It's a good opportunity uh, that marries the skills that I have both professionally and personally. Uh, and Alice is the greatest, and so. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to give something back to communities, but also to go get people who deserve an, uh, an opportunity to have a second chance at life, just like we got. Is the, your ministry still ongoing as well? Absolutely. The ministry is ongoing. Um, we're this close to having our building. Um, You're going to have your own it. church? Yeah. Well, I don't like to call it a church. We'll have a worship center, and but I believe that the church uh, became too uh, overly concerned with the building and not with the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Which means, um, you know, we should be doing things to help people connect to all of these different gates or kingdoms of the world, business and entrepreneurship, media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of people left the church because they don't see themselves in it anymore. Um, if I'm an entrepreneur, vivacious entrepreneur, should I go to church? Uh, if I'm a politician, should I have a, a role in church? So 
uh, we want to have more engagement in the ministry, but we will have worship services, yes. Okay. What about the naysayers who may be listening and say, you're still a smooth talker and you haven't paid restitution and, you know, all yeah, that we were getting, stuff. We were getting some texts, yeah. by yeah. the way, while, yeah. while we yeah. were in Brownie K's. You got one text. So you got one text from one reporter. I don't want to make this like a thing. Like, prize oh, winning oh, yeah, and, and, right. and glory to God for that. All, all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, that was asked by by, by a guy before. Um I'm not running for anything. I, I don't. I don't need anybody's vote. And and I'm not saying that in jest or saying that to be coy or to be arrogant. I think that we spend a lot of time trying to make other people feel that we're okay. And I'm just not interested in doing that anymore. And and, and what I just asked them to do is just watch. And instead of condemn, watch. One of the things I've learned um, by going through this process, I worked in the chapel in a prison for almost six and a half years. And I saw architects, news people, business owners come in with child rape cases. Mm -hmm. I saw people come in with drug cases, and they were construction guys that ran their own construction firm. I, I understand now that a lot of people that point fingers are not so clean themselves. And a lot of people that have been through things in their life, they give a lot of grace. And so I don't want to be the butt of all jokes, of course, but at the same time, I don't allow that noise to conform what I believe uh, I'm doing right with my wife, <laughs> with my family, with my children, uh, and with the ministry that God gave me. And so that's where I am now. I, I really hope that people are free from Kwame Kilpatrick stuff and they're free to live their lives. When I move around Detroit, it's great. When I move around suburban communities, it's great. It's smiles. It's hugs. It's welcome back. It's do better. I've prayed for you from white, black, suburban city. And so I don't experience the deep hatred. Um, I think people in this world now have far too many things that they're concerned about. The pressing and crushing and pressure that people are going through. Um, watching this war uh, on television every day. Uh, watching both wars on television. It's just, it's just enough of the Kwame Kilpatrick stuff. When you talk about that, and one of the things that you were very, when you first got on, I think it was one of your first interviews, said that you realized that as a black father, yes. you'd failed oh, yeah. the boys. Yes. And you now have five. Yes. Well, all six children, including a child. Stepchild. From, yeah, a stepchild. Um, that healing process with your kids. There's a lot of folks that go through breaches in the family. Mm -hmm. and, and how did that healing process happen? Um, it happened with me um, starting in a prison visiting room with both of my sons, my oldest. At that time, they were 16, and they were, I'm talking about, furious with me. They even left school at that time, and I sent a friend to pick them up to bring them to the prison on the weekend so I could talk to them, just me and them, uh, my oldest boys. And uh, he told uh, one of my sons, Jalil, he told me that I failed them. And I left them, and I'm sorry. You're a sorry man. I mean, he went off in the visiting room. And I looked him right in the eye with tears in my eyes, and I said, you are absolutely correct. And I have absolutely no excuses for it. I left you. And it started a dialogue that started to repair this breach that we had in our relationship, got them back in school. Um, and because my entire focus was for them to be whole in whatever they had to do 
over the course of the next few years or six years or seven or eight or 10 or 15 or 28, however long I was gone, that they become the man that God intended for them to be. And I don't be in the rear view mirror messing that up for them. And so they did it. Um, Jelani's a teacher at a high school in Florida. Jalil has his master's in counseling. He's an elementary school counselor. Uh, but because of what they went through, they're better at their jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, they can, they're both in very urban, poor schools. And so to connect with these young people is amazing. Jalil is also a football coach at the high school down the street. So he's an offensive coordinator. He, and that's now he's decided that he wants to go into coaching. He's an incredible coach. He played quarterback in college. Um, so Jonas is an honor society student, 21-year-old, uh, and he graduates in May. Um, and then, you know, I have three more, Lathan, who's 12, and, and then I have an 18-month-old king, and then my first baby girl. I'm a girl dad now, Kinsley, and she's two months. And so uh, we are moving forward. I know Detroiters want to have conversation a lot about 2003, four, six, uh, you know, and when I was in that pit, and, you know, I spent the last 225 days of my prison sentence in a solitary confinement cell. And if you can't work it all out in that place, um, you can't work it out. And so I I know people want to talk about what happened and, and what's real and what's not. And he didn't do this and he did that. It's, it's incredibly tough for me to do. First of all, I got a little PTSD. I really do. I don't remember a lot. I really don't. I mean, I'm not, that's not in jest. I, I went through counseling in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never been to counseling before. That was the most amazing experience. And I had Miss B, who was the toughest woman I've ever met in my life. She was about six foot one. And she said, Every, you want to, I said, uh, this is not like what they teach you in school. Listen, little politician, if you want to keep talking about politics, we're not going to get anything done here. We're going to kind of push through in this thing and try to figure out what God wants you to do with your life. That's how she talked to me. I said, "This, where did they get you from? That's not what I saw on television. But uh, it was, she was the perfect person dialed up for me. Oklahoma was the perfect place for me to be. Um, it was good that everything that happened to me happened because I don't know if I wouldn't be a 330-pound or had a heart attack out there stressed out. Because that's what I want to know. Where, would you, where do you think you'd be? Had you, not, you had all immense that. political gifts. Yeah. Yes. Had she not gone outside, colored outside You're the like lines Like a rising there. star at that time. Yeah. yeah. Where you do you know, think you would be today? I don't know. I never wanted to be president or governor. I know that's crazy. My dream job was mayor of the city of Detroit. From 10 years old, I was telling people I was going to be mayor of the city of Detroit. And I know that's limiting for a lot of people. um, But that's what I wanted to be. So when you when I was 10 years old at all the family picnics, holidays, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mayor of the city of Detroit. So I got everything I ever wanted and failed and lost it. So I had to learn how to reconcile that. Who am I if I'm not a Detroiter? Who am I if I'm not mayor? And so that was a process that I went through. I don't know where I would be, but I know wherever I was, I would be uh, extremely overweight, extremely out of shape, uh, had some heart problems, high blood pressure problems, and I would be miserable, probably still divorced and probably still sinning. So I don't believe that the end of that tale would have been pretty. Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. Thanks for sharing your time. Thanks for Thanks for sharing me. your story. Thank you. Uh, and uh, don't be a stranger. If you come home, yeah. yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. I would love to be here. It would be fun.
<laughs> but I wouldn't be involved down here. I tell you that. <laughs> y'all, y'all can and, have and this. No this is, politics. No, right? po- no politics. Listen, y'all can have the politics. Go ahead, mate. Listen, all the best to you. People call me. Hey, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, helping my campaign. You know what? Like, Thank no. you for the call, but absolutely not. You know. <laughs> and, and we should we should point out that while we were having this conversation, two former Republican yes. legislative friends of yours. Reached out and want to want to say hi. I can't have wait a to see him. I haven't seen those guys in a long time. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll see. If I got happens. the message, Rocky. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Take All care, right. sir. See you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you very much. When we come back, Tom Izzo uh, of a Spartan Weekend. We'll talk to him next on JR Morning. We covered so much uh, with former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, and if you want to check out maybe the, the stuff you didn't get a chance to hear, uh, you can find it at thegreatvoice.com. The whole thing. Uh, will be right there and uh, and and tell your friends about it. I mean, we'll as he says, we'll yeah. see the authenticity in his conversion in future years. That's right. We'll and, keep and, watching, and 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 we will mm-hmm. keep watching, and we will be watching tomorrow night when the Michigan State University uh, basketball team opens its Big Ten play in earnest at the Breslin Center. The Badgers in town, and we welcome in WJR senior sports analyst Steve Courtney. And uh, Coach Tom Izzo, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning there, Guy, group. Hello again, everyone. Let me just say this. Conversation with Magnum TI brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. As the uh, Spartans look to begin their Big Ten schedule, here's a quote. Big Ten play, it's way different than everything else. The reffing style is different, the physicality is different, and possessions matter, as we already learned that. But they really do matter because these games matter even more for what we're trying to do. That is from Tyson Walker. And let me just point out, uh, Tom Izzo is 158-38 and 38 overall in the month of December over his first 28 seasons. Let me carry the zero here. That's an 80.6% winning percentage in the month. And as fate would have it, he joins us now. Coach, how are you this morning? God, Steve, you made me feel a lot better than I feel, so that sounded good. <laughs> but uh, I'm good, guys. You know, it's hard to believe that Big Ten play is starting, and uh, it's one unique thing about our conference. I think there's one or two other conferences that are doing it, but it's uh, – it makes it tough when you start the Big Ten Conference this early and you're still working out kinks and things like that, but it is what it is, and it's the same for everybody. Coach, you were uh, happy-go-lucky on Friday. We are talking the weather, but now it seems like you're down to business as Big Ten play starts against the six <laughs> and two Badgers. Yeah, the party's kind of over, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're right. Uh, it's, um, it's kind of... Uh, important time you know you you see what happened already with purdue going down and i think yesterday and fr- i think friday saturday or saturday sunday you know nine teams got beat uh, ranked teams top 20 teams got beat by teams unranked and uh it's just amazing how that works um but that's what conference play is all about so i uh uh, it does make you a little nervous. It also makes you a little excited. Uh, what particularly are you excited for, that the defense has been so stout or that the balls are starting to fall from beyond the arc? 
you know, I think that the balls are starting to fall from beyond the arc, and the only reason I say that is we are shooting it better even in practice because uh, I think our defense is going to – I think our defense will get better if you start making a few shots. You know, it's like – I don't know if any of you play golf, but if you make a few putts, all of a sudden the drives become better, you know. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, really? In, <laughs> yeah. Well, some of you have never experienced that, but <laughs> most of us have experienced it some way or shape or form. And, you know, just about feeling better about yourself. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, to see if we can start putting things together. And uh, that's kind of what we're looking forward to tomorrow. Coach, as you scout the Badgers, uh, what do you see? What do you think uh, you guys uh, need to work on to make sure you get a W well, tomorrow? Well, they were one of them that just beat the number three ranked team. Uh, they took Tennessee to the wire. They they just beat Marquette, big rivalry, and uh, beat them pretty handily, in fact. And uh, they were ranked third in the country. So not that these rankings mean a lot right now, but I said at the beginning of the year, I think I told Steve this, I thought Wisconsin was one of my top three or four teams because they got everybody back. They've added one transfer from uh, – from uh, New York uh, that is in there, that St. John's, that I think helps them a lot. And so I think I want to say they have seven out of eight back and uh, and who they lost wasn't a top guy. So, uh, yeah, they're very good. They're very well coached. They're very disciplined. There's uh, They've got experience now. Kids that started as freshmen, sophomores, are now juniors and seniors. So, uh, yeah, they're a good team, real good team. Coach, you know, uh, th- this can be political. I want to take it outside of basketball for just a moment. What do you think what happened to Florida State being shut out of the CFP yesterday? You know, I, I, I guess I've never really looked at, I mean, I look at football all the time, but I've never really looked at what are they trying to accomplish, you know, what's fair, how do you do this, and is anybody going to play good non-conference schedules anymore if one loss gets you in trouble and how with, with the way it is, um, you know, no losses can get you in trouble. And, uh, you know, I, I would say the one thing, um, when you have two injuries at that position, um, it, you can't be the same team, you know, and hmm. I think I understand that, even though I'm not sure it's fair. Who in the hell said life was fair? You know, it's uh, the yeah. way it is. Let me ask you this, Coach, uh, as we uh, focus in on the uh, Badgers. Uh, you're coming off the win over Georgia Southern. That on November 28th. You've had a chance uh, to have a little team bonding and, more imp- importantly, some practice time. Uh, leading into the Big Ten schedule, which, by the way, uh, what was it, 2017-ish, the uh, Big Ten schedule was pushed up. But that's so valuable to have that. Uh, practice time leading into this, isn't it? And, and Coach, we only have well, a few seconds left. Yeah, well, it really is, especially when you're trying to uh, look at the words you had. So, yeah, it's it's valuable, but, uh, you know, the games are played. Tomorrow we'll play the game. I'm going to look forward to talking to you guys on Friday, and I'll wrap it up by saying thanks a lot to all of you, and I'll look forward to uh, – You'll be happy-go-lucky you know, on Friday again. Uh, that'd of course. Be great. That would be great. <laughs> all right. Not today, though. Not today. You uh, you go with our good wishes for tomorrow night's uh, conference opener. Thanks so much, Coach Isla. Steve, thank you, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow at 6.